I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I hope you know that just because Thanksgiving is past, it doesn't mean that we stop thanking him. Because he's good every day, amen? Well, today begins the countdown uh, that we call Advent. The season of Advent is, is uh, the expectation uh, of the arrival of Christmas, but it's really about the arrival of, of Jesus, the arrival of the Messiah. And it just sort of builds up. That's what Advent is about, is building up uh, one day at a time until, until that day arrives. And you don't see much about the Advent season when you go to the mall or when you go to the stores because it really goes against the consumerist culture of, of today, the, this immediate gratification culture. Uh, for the consumerist uh, culture, Christmas is about how many days are left for shopping. Uh, for the immediate gratification culture, say, how fast can we get to this season and, and what am I going to get and how can we skip uh, Thanksgiving and all these other things and get into this Christmas frenzy with all of the activity and, and all the decorating and all of the shopping that it involves. And, and yet we know that the true joy of Christmas cannot be experienced without understanding the longing and the expectation for a savior. I, I think about the fact that we really don't understand Easter unless we understand the death of, on the cross. Unless we understand the, the passion and the suffering of Jesus, Easter really doesn't have its full meaning. And, and I really think that Christmas doesn't have its full meaning unless we understand something of the longing and the waiting for a savior. For us in the, in the year 2021 in this materialistic West, that we live in, it's hard to imagine the longing for a Messiah that people had 20 centuries ago or so. These, these people who lived in exile, away from their homeland, away from everything that was familiar to them. People who were hungry, literally. People who, who were without hope, without knowing when will they ever return to their homeland? When will they ever be able to be at the temple where they worship God? When would they be freed from their captivity? These people who were longing for a savior, generation after generation after generation, waiting for a Messiah, waiting for a rescuer. This expectation uh, was not for some jolly fat dude that would come down a chimney and leave presence under a tree. It was the longing for, for someone who truly would rescue once and for all. The Messiah who would make things right, who would remove the oppressors, who, who would free the captives, who would feed their hungry bellies, who, who would bring relief to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and freedom to the captive. It was a longing for generations. And it is to his own generation, a generation that's still waiting, a generation that's still longing, that Jesus speaks these words. Some of them are literally hungry. Some of them are longing for the Savior. And Jesus says to them, blessed are those, in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. These are powerful words. 
The people that are listening to this are not full of turkey and dressing. They're not people who have Christmas trees that are filled with, with gifts and decorations uh, that have cost them hundreds of dollars and lights all around their house. They are spoken to people who know emptiness and scarcity, who have been in oppression far too long. And we can't miss that. This passage speaks to us today, yes, but we can't miss the situation to which Jesus speaks in his day. We're in a series that we call the Beatitudes, Distinctives of a Disciple, and we're looking at the sayings of Jesus as characteristics of a true disciple. I think it's, it's a good diagnostic tool, self-diagnostic tool for those of us that have grown up in church. How do we know that we're not just cultural Christians? How do we know that we're not just church-going people? How do we know that we are truly, genuinely followers of Jesus? And Jesus says, this is how you know. This is the people I commend. This is the kind of followers I'm looking for. And, 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 and he says, I'm looking for people who are humble. I'm looking for people who are broken. I'm looking for people who are meek. We talked about that last Sunday. And today, we were talking about hungry. Looking for people who are hungry. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a hungry disciple? Well, the first thing I think it means is that we refuse to accept the state of affairs. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness do not accept the status quo. They have a deep conviction that something is not right and it must be changed. You know, while Adolf Hitler rose to power and in Germany and he began to advance his troops, uh, his Nazi agenda into neighboring countries, the United States was determined not to get involved in the war. They, they were determined to stay neutral. And as Hitler's troops occupied Poland and France and there were airstrikes that took place over Great Britain in 1939-1940, most Americans sympathized with the suffering of people in Europe, but they had passed uh, acts of neutrality in 1935, 1936, 1937 to make sure they never got involved in another world war. World War I was so horrible that, that it, it, it still was haunting their conscience as Americans. And yet when the Japanese surprised the US troops at Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941, the U.S. could no longer stay neutral. Reluctance became resolved to end this war once and for all. See, there comes a time where you cannot accept neutrality. There comes a time when you cannot accept the state of affairs, where you cannot be okay with the status quo. You cannot be indifferent to what is taking place. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who, who will not accept the current state of affairs. Blessed are those who cannot remain indifferent to the suffering of the people. I've seen three primary ways in which people respond to, to the situation in the world. There, there are those people who say, no, things aren't really wrong. People are trying to tell us they are wrong, but, but anything that's wrong is because people have made wrong choices. They, they, they boil it all down to individual choices. If individuals make wrong choices, things go bad. If individuals make right choices, then things go well for them. Some people think like that. 
And then there are those people who, who know that something is wrong in the world, that, that, that there's systemic evil in the world. And, and they know it's there, but, but they get blindsided and, and, and they just stay focused because uh, they can't afford to care. They, they remain indifferent. And then there are those who see the wrong and want to make it right. Those are the people that Jesus commends. See, I think one of the greatest challenges of the evangelical church today is indifference and complacency. I think that most people in our churches are not really hungry. They're not hungry for God. They're not hungry for righteousness. They're not hungry for change. They're not hungry for holiness. We are more preoccupied with protecting our institutions than we are with the injustices that people suffer around the world. We are more preoccupied with our way of life than with the evil that is ravaging the lives of many. We are more preoccupied with the way that we want church to be done than with the millions of people who don't know the love of Christ. But Jesus is looking for hungry disciples. Disciples who are not satisfied with the status quo. Disciples who are thirsty for the living waters of righteousness who will not stop seeking the righteousness of God until they are filled. Disciples who have a kingdom ambition. And the question for you today is, are you hungry? Are you hungry for justice? Are you hungry for righteousness? Are you thirsty for that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Secondly, to be hungry to be a hungry disciple is to recognize the need for personal change. Hunger and thirst for righteousness begins with me. To be a hungry disciple means to be hungry for God's righteousness in my life. It is an inward burning within us that says, I want more of God. I want more of his work in my life. What does it mean to be hungry? I would venture to say that most of us here and forgive me if I'm wrong, but, but I think most of us here do not really know what it is to be hungry, literally hungry. I mean, I hear people say, that, I'm starving. I'm starving for most of us means I haven't eaten since breakfast, you know, or, or I skipped a meal. And, 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 and we say, I'm sorry, but we really don't know what it is to go without food for days and days at a time. When I think about what it really means to, to be hungry, I think about one of the scenes of the movie Les Miserables, where, where the poor sing a song, the poor in France sing a song, this French novel by Victor Hugo. Uh, maybe you'll remember. If not, I'll share with you this song right now. Crying, and the plane is coming up fast, ready to kill. What do you 
spirits are dying. At the end of the day, there's another day dawning. And the sun in the morning is waiting to rise. And the waves crash on the side. Fire and storm in the rain any second. Those of you that read the novel or watched the movie, you know this, this deep sense of heartbreak to see the poverty of people in France and their, their oppression right before the French Revolution. They were hungry for a change in the system, hungry for a change in the world, but, but they were also hungry for a piece of bread. And it's that kind of hunger, it is that kind of expression that I think of when, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger who long with a deep passion and ambition. I don't know what it's to be hungry like that, literally. I, I know what it's like to be thirsty, I think. Uh, the time that of my life where I experienced the most thirst, you know, some of you know that I grew up in Monterey, Mexico, and Monterey is surrounded by mountains, and, and so many of us in church on Saturdays would go hiking to, to some of the mountains that are not so hard to climb, or they have really easy trails, but there's this iconic mountain in Monterey that's called Cerro de la Silla. It, it's a saddleback mountain because it looks like a saddle, and, and our young adult said, what if we climbed that mountain? I mean, it's, you know, it's only about a 4,000-foot climb, and we'll go on one Saturday, and, and, uh, and we'll go up there, and we'll come down, we'll have lunch together, right? And so uh, I was about 11 years old, I think, and, and the young adults in the church were excited, and I said, okay, well, I'll sign up. And, and I had no hiking experience, no hiking gear. Uh, there were no uh, paved trails up this mountain, it was just like, like real hiking through the wilderness. And we started hiking. We all had little canteens with water. And about four or five hours into the climb, we ran out of water. And there was still some ways to go. In fact, it took us most of the day to get to the top. And by the time we were up there, I was parched. I was thirsty. I was tired. I, I couldn't even sweat. There was no, no fluid in my, in my body. And I remember... I remember distinctly as we were coming down the mountain that we found these clefts in the rocks. There were rocks and there was these clefts. It had rained about two or three days before and there was water in those little clefts and there was all kinds of little worms moving around in the water. Well, we were that thirsty. We were that thirsty. I mean... You know, somebody took off their sweaty shirt and put it there as a filter so that we wouldn't uh, eat the worms, but we would drink the water. I know what it's like to be thirsty. I'll never forget that experience. I'll never forget. We went up at, 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 when the sun came out and we came down and it was already dark. Uh, it was a lesson that we learned. So when, when I hear Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I relate to the thirst more than the hunger. This hunger and thirst for righteousness is something deep. It's something moving. It, it, it leads us to do something that we wouldn't otherwise do. And it begins with personal righteousness. It's a burning desire that we would be right with God in every sense. And we know that that righteousness is by faith, don't we? We know that, that we receive the righteousness of God by faith, that Jesus came and he lived the perfect life. He lived the righteous life that you and I could not live. And then he went to the cross 
And at the cross, his righteous son of God died for our unrighteousness, for our inability to live holy lives, for our sins. He carried that sin on himself at the cross. And then he was buried. He experienced a full sense of death and sin carried on his body. But he rose from the dead and he conquered death and sin. And he's gone up to heaven, he's ascended to heaven and he rules on his throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you are hungry for him, when you are hungry for his righteousness, when you are hungry for his forgiveness, when you are hungry for his godliness, you come to him in that hunger, you open your heart to him and he gives you his righteousness. He clothes you with righteousness. He washes you with his righteousness. It is by faith, but it requires a hunger, a hunger that leads you to surrender your life, a hunger that leads you to Christ. That's the righteousness that we are filled with when there's a deep longing for the sanctifying work of God in our lives. I have a friend who uh, lives overseas and, and he's made it a point in his life to uh, make friends with Muslims and uh, he loves on them and, and uh, he's friends with them, he hangs out with them and he, and he wants them to know that he's a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and so I, as he's been doing that, some of them said, look, we have a friend that lives in another city and, uh, and he wants to know about this Isa, that, that's uh, Arabic for Jesus. He wants to know about Jesus. And, uh, and we, uh, we told him that you could tell him about him. And he said, sure. He goes, so they traveled, they went and they met up with him at, at a coffee shop. And, uh, and he said, I understand you want to know about Jesus. He said, yes. He said, why? He said, well, back in my country, uh, where I used to live, uh, which is a predominantly uh, uh, Islamic country, I had a dream. And in this dream, I understood that, that I was supposed to ask about Jesus, that Jesus had something uh, to reveal to me and I was supposed to ask about him. So when I woke up, I, I went to the Iman uh, at, at my mosque and I asked him, what does the Quran say about Jesus? Because the Quran does speak about Jesus. And the Imam said to him, do not ask that question ever again. Do not dare to ask that. But this man had this hunger to know what this Jesus was about. And he lived longing and waiting to see when he would discover, knowing that he could never ask in his own country because he could be imprisoned. And then he immigrated to another country. And when he arrived at that country, he saw these huge cathedrals and beautiful architecture of, of, of cathedrals and church houses. And, and he went into one of those and, and, and he asked for the priest and he said, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know about him. And so the priest gave him a New Testament and he said, just come back at a certain hour and be a part of our services here. And he began to read the New Testament and, and, and in his hunger, he, he began to hunger for more. And, and then he went to, uh, to the service and he said, the, what I read in the New Testament doesn't really connect with what I see in the services. I'm not finding Jesus here. So he went from religion to religion and, and, and never finding someone who could tell him uh, rightly about Jesus until he talked to my friend in that coffee shop. And he said, that's for years I've been looking for someone to explain this to me. So my friend opened the scriptures and he began to tell him about God's love. 
and about how Jesus is God's son that came from heaven and lived his righteous life and how he died on the cross for our sins and he gives us this, this forgiveness and this righteousness and eternal life when we trust him. And as he was telling him the gospel, this, this Muslim person was just weeping. He said, for so many years since I had that dream, I was longing to hear about Jesus. And it wasn't until now I want to follow him. In fact, I want to be baptized today. And my friend said, wait a minute. Do you know that if you get baptized today that your family back home will disown you, right? He said, I don't care. I have been hungry for Jesus and I have found him and I want to follow him. And I asked myself, are we hungry for Jesus like that? Are you hungry for Christ like that? Are you, are you so hungry for righteousness of Jesus in your life that you're willing to take a risk, that you're willing to take a chance, that you're willing to take a step of faith to experience what God has for you? It reminds me of Peter and his friends when they were on the boat, in the boat, and, and, uh, and Jesus was not with them. And then they saw Jesus at a distance and they thought he was a ghost and and then Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then let me come to you. That's a pretty bold request. Jesus is walking on water and Peter says, I want to walk too. And Jesus says, well, come. So Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on water toward Jesus. He was hungry to be with Jesus. He was hungry for the power of Jesus in his life. And just for a moment at least he experienced that power. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. If we want righteousness in the world, it must begin with us. If we want to see the kingdom of God established, it must begin with us. You know, I'm so thankful for students and young adults in our church. They, they're such a blessing to us. But it breaks my heart to know that many churches are losing they're young people. I was reading a book this week by Bruce McCoy, and, it, and he says, as many young people observing chronic pettiness in their church have grown weary or bitter from unforgiving church leaders' hypocrisy. This dreadful example of chronic inconsistency has given rise to an exodus from our churches in epic proportions. Throngs of young people have observed church leaders who have been writing their theology but are devoid of godliness. Wow. They're not leaving Christ, but they're leaving a religion that is void of righteousness. Church, if we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, it must begin with us. We must recognize our need for change and pursue God until he changes us. And then thirdly, to be hungry means to represent the king's purposes in the world. When we have experienced the righteousness of God in our lives, then we are ready to be agents of righteousness in a broken world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So let's be hungry. Let's be hungry for what God desires. Let's be thirsty for his kingdom. Let's be hungry for justice and righteousness to be established. God says that we will be filled. You know, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he, he went to his hometown of Nazareth and he spoke at a synagogue and he gave his agenda for ministry. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me 
because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus says. That's what I came for, to give good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to usher the era of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus came to do. And today, Jesus desires disciples who hunger and thirst for that, for that to happen today. Do you have a, a deep hunger and thirst to proclaim the good news to those who are far from God? Do you have a deep hunger and thirst to eradicate hunger in the world? Do you, do you have a deep hunger and thirst to see captives set free, to see the oppressed experience freedom? Does your heart beat with God's heart for those who are in bondage spiritually and socially? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. About 12 years ago, I had the opportunity to be in Oxford, England for a doctoral seminar. And one of the most memorable and exciting things for me while being there is to visit historical churches. I got to go to John Bunyan's church. I got to go, got to, go to John Wesley's church. And I, I, I got to go to this little church in a little uh, small town uh, of Moulton in Northampton, England, and to a church that was named Cary Baptist Church. And it's named after William Cary, who was her pastor there in 1786. William Carey was a cobbler by trade, but he was a self-taught uh, person, very smart guy. So while he was making shoes, he would read and he taught himself Latin and Hebrew and Greek and Italian and Portuguese and the Bible. And so then he became a pastor and he established a little church. And in fact, he established a little school and he pastored there. And as one of the youngest pastors in, in, in the area where he lived, he had some bold and crazy ideas. As he was talking to other more experienced pastors, he told them, you know, I believe that the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 applies to us today. And those pastors were looking at him like he was some kind of a weirdo because they had come to believe in their extreme form of Calvinism they had come to believe that God has predestined people to be saved and that those predestined people are going to be saved whether somebody goes and tells them the gospel or not. And so when he said, we must go to other nations and tell the gospel, they said, look, if God wants to save the heathen, he can save them without you. So sit down, young man, and be quiet. <laughs> Thankfully, William Carey did not, was not quiet because he had a hunger and a longing to see the nations come to know the righteousness of God. One day he stood up before an associational meeting of Baptist churches and he preached a sermon where he said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Eventually he and his family sailed to India and they established their home base in Sarampore, India. There he developed leaders. He established a paper factory for his educational and religious purposes. He established a printing press he established the first newspaper in India. He invested 40,000 pounds of his own money in the mission. 
He translated the Bible to 42 languages. One third of the world's population. You know, there's a family in our church that's from India. And they tell me that the Bible that they read when they're back home is one that was translated by William Carey. He produced 212,000 copies of the Bible and established the Sarapore Institute, the first accredited university in India. One man, one cobbler from a small town who had a hunger for God's kingdom to advance. One man who had a passion for the righteousness of God to be known by the nations. I sat there in that little church house in Moulton, small building, probably no more, no more bigger than our parlor. And as I sat there in one of the little pews, I, I looked at the wall, there was a mural and it had William Carey's picture on it. And it said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And as I sat there that summer, I wondered, do I have that passion? Do I have that hunger? If I just had half of that hunger and passion to see the kingdom advance, I would be grateful, I'm thankful for him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The world is broken. People are hurting. There's injustice. Yeah, people make bad choices but there's also systemic injustice. Many do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Evil abounds, confusion is the order of the day. People live without hope. And the message of Advent is a message of hope, that hope has come in the person of Christ. The message of Advent is a message that one day Christ will return and will make all things right. And while we wait for that day, we hunger, we long, we thirst for that righteousness to be established, knowing that we will be filled. We long intensely for Jesus to make all things right. While we wait for that day, that hunger and thirst drives us to work, to pray, to be instruments of righteousness, to represent the kingdom agenda in this world. Can we really make a difference? Can one person make a difference? Can one church in the Rio Grande Valley make a difference? The answer is yes. Jesus promised, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Righteousness will be established we will be satisfied with righteousness if we are faithful, if we hunger and thirst for it. So let's thirst, let's hunger, let's make a difference. Would you stand with me? I wonder if today you need to pray that God will give you a deep hunger for righteousness in your life. Maybe you're hungry for, for a change. You're hungry for forgiveness. You're hungry for hope. Today is a day that, that you surrender, that by faith you receive what God has to offer through Jesus Christ. This is a moment to do it. You can pray right there where you are, whether you're in person or watching on our live stream. Maybe 
Maybe your prayer today is for God to give you a longing to see his righteousness established in the world. To pray and give and work until, until Jesus comes back and makes all things right. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, this is the moment to do it. You can come to the front, kneel. You can pray where you are. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and are making a difference. And I pray that you do that work in me, that you make me so hungry and so thirsty for you, that there would be a sense of urgency and kingdom ambition in me, that I will not stop until I see that righteousness be fulfilled in my life, in my church, in my community, in my world. Do it in me today. Do it in us here at Calvary. Do it in your people, God. As we sing, you continue to respond as the Spirit of God leads you.